remember in our life groups and many of our Bible studies, we've been studying generosity, and uh, we've kind of driven home the idea that generosity doesn't just have to do with your pocketbook, it has to do with all aspects of the Christian life. Uh, it's basically uh, a deep unselfishness that flows forth from a redeemed life. A deep unselfishness that flows forth from a redeemed life. So the aspect we're going to look at today is hospitality and God's grace. The title is Hospitality and God's Grace. Uh, you ever thought about how cool it would be to hang out with Jesus? I mean, what an awesome thing. You know, his sermon goes a little bit long one day, and, you know, he's, he's the son of God. He can do that. Um, but everybody's hungry, wants to go home, and he says, what you got? Give me some loaves and some fishes. And he takes them and blesses them and breaks them and distributes them and multiplies them. And suddenly, he's the life of the party. 5,000 people get to eat and be refreshed that day. It's just awesome. Uh, plus, women and, and children and 12 baskets left over. Jesus was the life of the party, always. Remember that one party he went to? It was a wedding feast, and, and uh, the, the wedding wine had run out. And all he's got is some jars of water, and he, he blesses them and turns them into to red wine. And, and it just wasn't any wine, was it? This is uh, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. A.D. 30, vintage A.D. 30 wine is the good stuff. And so in Luke chapter 7, his detractors say, look at him, that glutton, that drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He had friends in low places. He loved to celebrate. He, he loved hospitality. And oftentimes he would tease theological messages out of his hospitality, out of his parties. And today we've got one of those in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Look at hospitality and God's grace. Jesus is invited to the home of a very prominent person, and he uses that to address theology. We're going to look at three things today. The inner ring, the open home, the pauper's feast, or the feast of the poor. The inner ring, the open home, the feast of the poor. Now, this is more than just an Emily Post etiquette training seminar. Uh, this is more than just prep work for cotillion. Although he is talking about hospitality, it has a theological meaning. Look at verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by your host. Now what's all that about? Of course, we do the same thing today, don't we? Go to a rehearsal dinner. Who do you put up front in the prominent place? The bride and the groom. Then, then they're closest of kin, right? And then the wedding party. You seat people relationally. The closer they are to the host of the party, that's where they're seated. And what Jesus is saying is don't think too highly of yourself. Don't go ahead and sit in a seat of prominence and then have to be scolded and sent back to the back. Humble yourself. Go sit in a place of humility. And maybe your host will grab you by the arm and take you up front and, and uh, say, friend, come up, be promoted. But don't guess up, guess down, Jesus says. Start humble. And we know this is a teaching on humility because look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now Jesus is addressing something that haunts everybody in this church. I know it haunts me. And that is the inner need to be needed, to be important, to be prominent, to be liked. We all suffer from it. It's hard not to. 
And sometimes we have to prop up our egos by all these external things, trophies and, and diplomas on the wall like I have in my office. Uh, God bless me and help me. Um, <laughs> valedictorian of this school or valedictorian of that school. We want to be validated by the stuff that we do, right? We want to feel prominent and important. But here's the deal. If your self-worth is based on what you do, then what happens when what you do is over with? What happens? What happens if all your friendships are based on your achievements or what you do? What happens when it's over with? What happens when the Wall Street tycoon, who's a big wheeler dealer, moves to Myrtle Beach and plays golf six days a week? He's, he's lost his primary identity because it was caught up in what he did. What happens when the teacher, after many years of service, stops teaching? What happens when the preacher, after many years of preaching, stops preaching? Nothing happens if your relationship with God was based on grace and love and mercy, not what you've done. If your relationship with other people was built on humility and loving them, not for what they could do for you, but because of simply who they were. See, if your life and your friendships are based on what you do, when that thing's over with, it crushes your soul. C.S. Lewis wrote a great essay about the inner ring or trying to get into the inner ring of friendships. He says those people come off too needy. They try too hard in relationships. Uh, they want it so badly that they, they do things in order to be accepted by the group. He says the desire to be in the inner ring is one of the great mainsprings of human action. But here's where Jesus' teaching comes in. The humble will be exalted. See, he says, until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, you'll always remain an outsider. You see, Tim Keller put it a little bit more succinctly. The more relationships that you surround yourself with that are simply based on affirmation, love, and grace, the more likely you are to receive affirmation, love, and grace. If you shoot for exaltation in your relationships, you'll always try too hard and you'll walk away empty every time. But if you shoot for humble service and loving kindness, you'll always walk away filled to overflowing. The exalted will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. The humble will find the inner circle, the inner ring. Hospitality begins with humility in understanding that, that we're children of God, that we've been uh, blessed and loved by the most high creator of all the universe. That gives you an, a sense of attractiveness and winsomeness when you can just be filled with peace and joy that comes from a, a grace-filled relationship with God. People want to be around you because you're so attractive. The inner ring, the open home, number two. Look at verse 12. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your rich relatives or your neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. You know what Jesus is saying there? He is blowing up an ancient Middle Eastern cultural system called the patronage system. The patronage system says, uh, in order to get anywhere in this world, I've got to create a network. And so I'll invite Neil to come to my house so that he'll invite me to his house. And we'll get together with other bigwigs and make our way in business that way. So you're hospitable 
because of what you could get. You, it wasn't out of grace. It wasn't out of mercy. It wasn't out of love. You scratch your back. You scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. You grease my palm. I'll grease your palm. That's how it worked. Jesus is saying, not with my disciples. He said, my disciples will be radically hospitable. My disciples will operate on gospel hospitality. They will love and affirm and share grace with others, not based on what they can get, but simply because they want to bless others. So Christians, they open their home, not for what they can get, but simply they want to love and encourage and bring gladness to other people. The Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia. Philos, love, right, really, you got that, and strangers. So philoxenia is the love of strangers. You open your home, you treat strangers like family, and you love on them, not based on what they can do for you, but simply because you've been loved by God and you want to share it with others. What does home mean to you? In a few short weeks, we'll be singing all those Christmas songs, won't we? There's no place like home for the holidays. I'll be home for Christmas. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents under the tree. It's a place of refreshment, right? It's a place of peace, a rest from the storms of life. And when you go to your home, you do it to be refreshed. Honey, I'm home, finally after a long day. I'm home. You see, when you open your door and love on strangers, you're opening up your place of refreshment and you're inviting them in to be refreshed by what refreshes you. Simply to love, to cherish them, to care for them, to, to, uh, to share your home of refreshment with them. I've heard some beautiful stories in our parish about people who open their homes to folks at Thanksgiving and Christmas, to folks who've lost loved ones, and, or maybe they have too far to travel to be with loved ones. They, they open their home, they invite into the inner ring, they, they bring them in. Some folks I know of in this parish invited the staff at Sunoco gas station into their home for a place of refreshment and feasting and, and love and grace. I know others in this parish who invite citadel cadets into their home to, to feed them and nourish them and refresh their souls. The open home, the inner circle, the inner ring, the open home. The love of strangers, treating strangers like family. Bill Fry was formerly dean of Trinity Seminary. He had a big old three-story palatial home, and he and his wife, uh, Bishop Fry, would invite people in. And they invited up to 18 guests to live with them for however long it took to refresh their souls. One was named Ann B. Davis. You may know Ann as uh, Alice from the Brady Bunch. After the show was over, she was kind of in a difficult place. They invited her in. She stayed 15 years. Became a Bible scholar, started studying the Bible, uh, started going to the Episcopal Church on Sundays and Wednesdays for the Eucharist. Uh, became part of the, the seminary as they would do skits and have talent nights. She would engage with the other students. It was a beautiful love of a stranger. And in the midst of that love of a stranger, they became lifelong friends. Bishop Fry and uh, Ann B. Davis. There are three types of strangers that the Bible talks about. One is Romans 12, 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show them hospitality. So your first stranger is the person beside you in your chair. It's the people in this church. You're to love on those people. One of the best ways to do that is life groups. 
Find a life group to share life with others so that strangers become friends. Secondly, your neighbors, your coworkers. Rarely will anybody be won to Jesus Christ through well-argued um, logic. E e the best you can do, they probably won't come to Jesus. They'll come to Jesus because you've loved on the stranger. And in the midst of loving on the stranger, they became your friend. And you brought them to church. Finally, the poor. Find a place where you can invite the poor into your inner ring, in your inner circle. Invite the poor into your home if necessary. Um, we've got wonderful opportunities to, to connect with the home of hope, Margie's Closet, the food distribution, the medical clinic, many ways to open up yourself to the lives of strangers. Love on the stranger, welcome them in. So the three parts, welcome the stranger into your place of refreshment, open your home, treat them as family, and let God turn them into friends. That's what hospitality is all about. Finally, the pauper's feast, the pauper's feast. This whole teaching is not about etiquette, it's about theology. And Jesus begins to teach about that great banquet in heaven, that great party that God, the host, opens up to all believers. And his teaching is about who gets in and who stays out. Who gets in, who stays out? The spiritually poor get in. God's going to invite the lame, the broken, the sick, the spiritually poor, those that can't pay God back, those who operate under grace. Um, in fact, there's a colleague in the prayer book, Almighty God, who seest that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. The humble will be exalted by God. So the spiritually poor get into the banquet. Who gets left out? Keller says that there are two types of people, the spiritually poor, the spiritually middle class. <laughs> he said the middle class are those people who think, you know, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm a whole lot better than Sally. Or I'm not the greatest saint in the world, but I'm a whole lot better than Bob. In other words, I deserve to be there at the end of time. I've worked my way into heaven. I've been good enough, God, and you better open their doors to me. Spiritually middle class. Jesus says today that those spiritually middle class get distracted. They're no longer in pursuit of God's grace, in pursuit of God's heart. And he says in verse 18, these spiritually middle class all began to make excuses Notice their excuses. One's a real estate guy. He's just bought a big old parcel of property. He's got to go check it out. He's distracted. He's, he's kind of self-righteous. Another's in livestock commodity trading. He just purchased some cows. He's got to go check them out, make sure they're okay. He's distracted by business. He's not pursuing the kingdom. Another guy, well, he just got married. Uh, you can imagine a marriage and future children and allowing your family to distract you from pursuit of God's grace in the kingdom. All middle class. Jesus said they all missed the party. But who gets in? Look at verse 23. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. The, these people are so poor, so lame, so, so broken, they can't even come to the party. They've got to be brought. That, that idea of compelling Send your servant out to grab them and pull them in by sheer grace alone. Those are the ones who know that they can't earn a place in the end time banquet. Those are the ones who know that they don't deserve a place in the end time banquet. Those are the ones that appreciate God's grace all the more. The paupers who are invited to the king's party. Are you spiritually middle class today or are you spiritually poor? See, when you, become, when you realize in your humility that the the, the humble will be exalted, 
that God has been radically gracious and kind to you in the person of Jesus Christ, when you really come to touch the fact that he became an outcast on the hill of Calvary so that you could be part of God's inner circle of saints, when you really get the idea that he died, that you might have life eternal, when you let all that sink in, guess what? You've been loved by the host. God loves the stranger, the humble. What can you do other than leave the church and begin to love on other strangers in Jesus' name? The love of strangers. It starts with the people beside you, the saints in church. Then it extends to your neighbors and your co-workers. And finally, it goes to the poor as you invite them into the inner circle and you show love to the stranger. Let us pray. Father in heaven, help us to connect hospitality and grace. We've received so much grace from you. We are spiritually poor, and yet you loved us and exalted us to the right hand of your son. You've, you've allowed us who are paupers to be invited to the, the feast of the king. So dear Lord, help us to invite others into our homes, into our hearts, not based on what they can do for us, but out of sheer grace and love. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.